morning, rise and shine. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. looking for my candy and I couldn't find it. It's because it's in my, my office. Matthew 7, uh, verse 7 and 8, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Amen to that. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this, this time that we have. Uh, thank you for this church. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this nation that gives us the freedom to come and loudly proclaim we love you. Uh, Lord, thank you for this opportunity that we have to uh, get to know you and, and get to know our brothers and sisters a little bit better today. God, just thank you for this life. Thank you for the ups and downs and the, and the highs and lows. Thank you for loving us. Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Now, that's not empty words. I was thinking about that as we, we sat here. I really like church a lot. Uh, this is one of my favorite places to be. I like sitting right back there in that, that chair, and I like it when it's nice and dark and cool. And I'm going to tell you, it's, it's a lot more fun being here when you guys are here than when I sit here by myself. So I mean it. I'm really glad you guys are here. Hey, if you're online, we're glad you're watching us too, but not quite as much. Um, there is a little number rolling on your screen. If you want to uh, send in your connection card, we'd appreciate that. Otherwise, we came to praise God, so let's do that. May be seated. Story, say. 
family. Hey, uh, you got to do me a favor, and I mean this. I am super, super excited about today, and usually when I get really excited, I start talking real fast. So if I start getting real excited and start talking real fast, as I want you to do, I want you to say, Jerry, slow down. And you know what I'm going to say? You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, all right. I have never preached in Habakkuk Habakkuk, part of the reason I can't say it right and people make fun of me, but I have now found my newest favorite chapter in scripture. This makes me so happy and it's going to make my wife really cranky, which makes me even happier and and we'll get to that when we get into this because I'm telling you, I I am so excited about this. I don't know how I have never did this before because, oh wow. So if you were with us last week, we're going to go all the way through the book of Habakkuk um, next two weeks after this, Jeff will be back. He'll be doing chapter three. He's going to break it in half. So you guys have to come back next week. And if you're watching online, you've got to watch in the next two weeks too. That way you get the, the full rundown of what's going on. And uh, just a, a quick catch up of what's going on here before we really jump into back at chapter two. If you want to get there, you can, you can turn while we're going through. This is a very short book in the Bible, so it won't take you long to read on your own. And it's really an unusual passage here because we have this, this prophet coming and God gives a message, and in chapter 1, just, just what we talked about last week, Habakkuk was really kind of um, confused, is a nice word to, way to put it, that God was going to use this heathen, this these, these terrible nation, to come to the, the Israelite nation and basically t- con- conquer them. I mean, there's, they're going to be taken over, and Habakkuk was really, was really um, distraught that this heathen Nathan nation was going to be used by God against God's nation. 
And so what we did at the end of chapter 1, Habakkuk asked some questions, and then in chapter 2 is, is where we get into this, and there are some really unusual things here, because if we look at this passage closely and slowly, I think what we do is we, we get a very uh, clear picture of God, uh, who God is, what what he does, how he functions, how he views people, how he uses people. We, we see this, this real intricate thing, and it's such a small book, but it's, it's such a great image of God because there are so many people, even now and then, that had such unusual views of who God was. They were in the middle of these, these countries that believed there was a God, but there was more than one. That was, that was a profound belief. We have the same thing now. Uh, there were other people that believed that the world was created by God, but God was so profound, magnificent, whatever adjective you want to use, he couldn't be understood. So there was a God, but you couldn't really know God because God was just so big. You had other people believe that, that God was there for nothing other than to basically give gifts like Santa Claus. But in their belief, God was only there to, to bless those who were high up, not the lowly. And we do the same thing now. If you're not good, if you're not good, you know what's going to happen. It's the same thing. We're saying, hey, if you're good, this will happen. It's, it's a very similar belief. And so what we're going to do, we're going to jump into chapter 2. We're going to stay there. So if you turn there, don't close your, your books. Because this is some really neat stuff. And if we're not careful, we're going to overlook it. So chapter 2, let's, let's just read the first couple verses together. Ready? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will, what I will answer concerning my complaint. We're going to stop. That very first, just verse, two verses there gives us, my very first point is, is understanding who we are with God. Let's look at those words again, because it's only, it's only two verses. Now look at it again, but this time, just think about this. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and I, what I will answer concerning my complaint. That is really, really, really deep about how Habakkuk is answering God. So he has a complaint about God, so what does he do? He goes out, he goes out alone, and he waits. Deep, huh? I know people are saying that's no big deal. This is really interesting to me because how many times have you, have I, have someone said, I have a question for God and I keep asking him, or they'll say, I have a, I have a request, I have a prayer request, or, or I have a need, and they say, I ask God, I ask God, I ask God, but God doesn't respond. And I go, are you doing what Habakkuk's doing? See, he had a question about why, why God was doing what God was doing. Habakkuk didn't go about his daily life. What did he do? He stopped everything. He climbed his watchtower. He sat there alone. And what did he do? He waited. Why? Because that is understanding who we are with God. Oftentimes, when we request things from God, and we petition God, and we ask God, and we don't wait for his response, what we are essentially doing in a small degree is saying, God, you function on my timeline, not I function on yours. See, this, this idea of what he was doing was putting a very clear image 
of who God is in regards to us. We make these unreasonable demands of God, I believe, and I, I believe they are unreasonable. When we petition, we request, we ask, whatever adjective you want to use, we do those things, and then we go about our daily life, and we say, where's God? He's not answering me. And I want to say, are you listening? Now, luckily, luckily, this, this is never me. Luckily, this is, this is all you and never me. Because I'm perfect at this. I, I never do this. I never request. I never petition. I never ask. I never do that and then go about my daily life. Never me. Because I am employed by the church. So that means when I have a request, I go sit on my watchtower and I wait. Oftentimes I, I feel guilty. Uh, because sometimes this, this passage of what Habakkuk is doing, I only do once a year. And I do it at camp. And you know why I do it at camp? I do it at camp because we tell the kids, hey, you need to have a daily quiet time. Every morning from 8 to 8.30, we want you to go alone. No friends, no toys, no balls, no nothing. Get your Bible. We want you to go out in the woods somewhere. We want you to spend 30 minutes alone in God. And you know what that forces me to do? The exact same thing. And I, I wonder, I wonder, is this, is this getting harder or is this getting easier in life? You know, you most of you are, are not 12, uh, so you have grown up with the times that when you wanted to change the TV channel, you had to get yourself up off that couch and twist the knob. You remember that? You also remember the times that if you wanted to read the newspaper, you either went outside because you had a subscription or you went down to the gas station and you bought one. You remember these things. You also remember there was a time that, that it almost just seemed like life was just a, a tad slower. You know why it was slow? Because it took three days to get a letter from your friend. But now we're, we're living this time that I feel, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like we're so busy, 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 busy. Why? Because we have so much technology and the ability to interact. The second we don't, we feel guilty. I believe this idea of going alone on our watchtower and saying, God, I, I asked a question, will you answer? And I'm going to wait for your answer. I, I believe it's getting more and more difficult. It's just there's so much. There's so much going on. And so really, I'm, I'm going to ask this question, and I have to ask myself the same question. Where is your watchtower? And if you don't have one, like I don't have one, we need to figure something out, and we need to develop our own watchtower. Because this is what Habakkuk's response was when, when he had a, a question, a complaint, he even said it, to God. What did he do? He asked it, and he went out alone, and he waited. And we need to do the same thing. We need to find a spot that we're not inundated by everything in our life, and we need to have a moment where we're peaceful, we're patient, so when God does respond, we can actually hear him. And this applies to you just as much as me. Right, let's, let's read again. It's going to bring us to the next point, too. We're going to skip down just a hair. Now, this is, this is God responding, and these are some really cool words in verse 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And this is again one of those passages that when I study scripture, I blow right through that, but it, it brings us to our second point. 
I had to read it like five times. Let's read it again. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets so he may, he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. This passage, I believe, is giving us, the hearers of God's message, what he expects from us. I'm going to be honest. I spent years in Bible college, and I never was taught this message. I've spent years going through seminars, and I never heard this message. But look at what God says one more time, just this first part. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets. That is a message to you, and that is a message to me. And here is what it means. God is saying, I'm giving you a message to give to the nation. You make it so people can understand it. Ooh, that's powerful, family. Ooh, that's powerful. He is telling us directly the message that you have received. And if you're saying, I haven't received a message, I'm going to tell you what your message is from God, okay? Just a little hint. Just a hint, just in case you're not positive what your message is that you're supposed to share to the world. And God is saying to us, just like he's saying to Habakkuk, I am giving you a message you go and you make it clear. And I think us and them then struggle with this. You know what we do? We take some of the most simplified ideas in Scripture and we make them so complex and so deep and so hard to understand because we want to puff ourselves up just like in this Scripture. We want to make ourselves feel good and strong and deep in Scripture. Oftentimes, we take God's salvation plan and we make it so no one around us can understand unless they've been to church for 30 years. And that is not what God is saying to his prophet. He's saying, I'm giving you a message. This is the message. You make this so easy to understand. Anyone who hears it can understand. And there's no difference in us today. Oh, I, I love this. I love this piece. How many times have you sat in a church or a lesson or a Bible study or in someone's home and you're studying the scripture and someone in front of you starts using these words that are so long you can't even pronounce them? How many times have you sat in a church and someone sits on stage and they're talking about redemption and other things and you look at your neighbor and you go, huh? Huh? That, that was gone. They're not doing what God said to Habakkuk. When you have a message about God, you need to simplify it. And what that means is going to be tough. What that means for us as an individual who's heard the message, what that means is you need to have a pretty good understanding about it so that when you explain it to the people, you don't need to make it so challenging and such a, a struggle that no one understands. Now, that does not, that does not mean every single topic in this Bible is written for a two-year-old to understand. I, I don't think that. I believe there are some passages in the Scripture that are very complex, and they are very confusing. But the message of salvation is not. I believe there are passages in this book that we should sit down and we should use those big words because nothing else does it, does it good. It, it's just not good enough. It doesn't describe it just right. There are some passages in this Bible that are very confusing. 
and that we should sit down. And, and sometimes when we discuss them, people inside, around us will go, huh? But not salvation. The message of God's love is not confusing. And as the messengers of God's word, it is our job to take those messages and make them clear for anyone to understand it. No more using these big words when you explain why you love Jesus. No more these, these complex statements and these, these 38-page dissertations about why you love Jesus and what Jesus did for you. When you are sharing God's message, God is asking you, and I would probably use the word almost demanding of you, that you take these tablets and you make them clear for anyone to understand. That's, man, that's really, that's unusual because usually anytime we, we come to a church and we use the word expectation in a church, everyone goes, uh-oh, this is about money. Uh-oh, guard the wallet. It's not. It's not. Or what's even worse is, is people come to church and, and they believe that they're allowed to come to church and God has no expectation for them whatsoever. Nothing. That they can, they can come, they can worship, they go home and they do what they want because God has no expectation, no desire, no demand, no nothing for their activities, their life, their time, nothing. You can do whatever you want. And so we, talk, we, we come here, we talk about this expectations. This passage is showing us what expectations God has of us. He expects us to take this message, make it clear, and run with it. And then even it comes down and he, he gives the extra here. But still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, look at this family, this is for us, wait for it. It will surely come. So God's saying, even when it doesn't look like things are happening, they're happening. That's the reason that hasten it. You've got to run with it. You've got to move with it. Why? Because even when it doesn't seem like it, time is clicking down. Even when it feels like we have millions of years, time is still clicking. And God is saying, the time is short. You've got to do it now. You've got to move now. Even when it seems like it's not going to end, it's going to. Even when it seems like it's not going to come true, it is. And that is our message that we should share clearly with those around us. All right, the last part, and, and this is my favorite part. I'm so excited. We're going to skip just a hair. We're going we're to move down a little bit. Now, we're going to start in verse 6. And family, I am. I am so excited about this. Are you ready for it? I'm going to try to go slow because this makes me too happy. This next part actually shows us who God is. I'm going to tell you, oh man, so excited. You excited, honey? You excited? I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but it was a long time ago, and uh, there was a time that the wife got kind of cranky, and I looked at her, and I went, whoa. Then I went, easy girl. <laughs> and she got a look on her face and she said, you can't talk to me like I'm a horse. <laughs> and I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but I haven't really grown up, so when you tell me I'm not allowed to do something, it makes me want to do it more. And so then I did it some more until my son looked at her and said, whoa, easy girl. <laughs> but you know what? You can't get mad at me, you know why? Because we're coming in the five woes of Scripture. 
And these woes here, I'm to tell you, it's going to be difficult for me not every time to read the woe to go, easy girl, just to irritate my wife, just a little bit, because it makes me so happy. But these woes here really show us who God is. Because there are so many people walking around and they, they have this misconception of who God is. You know, they honestly believe that, I hear more, I probably hear the most between no God or God is all love. Those are the two I hear. Either there's not a God or there is a God and this God is all loving and he would never, he would never say whatever you're doing is wrong. Never. He's, he's a, the absolute most loving, forgiving mother, so you can say, that would never look down upon her, her children. Those are the two views I get, but, but the people that believe that God is going to simply say, hey, there's no problem in whatever you do. These five woes that we're going to get into, and we're going to have to go quick. We can't, we can't spend hours in them as much as I want to. This gives us a very good image of who God really is, because this is who he's talking about. And this word woe here is, is really a cool word. When you, when you said it in Hebrew, it would actually come out hoy. There's a little more phlegm. Um, Hebrew loves a noise, but I'm not going to do that. But it would, it would come out sounding like hoy with a little more phlegm. So hoy. And hoy, when you say that, is actually a lamentations word. It, it would, you're lamenting something. It would be a word you would hear at a funeral. So if you went to a funeral, and let's say someone's spouse passed away, and you were going to the funeral to grieve with them, when you would greet the spouse, you would say, hoy. It would, it would mean what sorrow, great sorrow. And it would be a very common word you would hear when you were grieving. And it was almost always tied to the loss of life, hoy. So when God is using this word hoy, and he's talking about it, the people that are coming after the statement God is saying there are sorrow for them. So he's not saying these five people that are doing this stuff, they're all good. What he's saying is, hoy, great sorrow comes for, and that's what we're going to jump into. So we're going to skip a little bit. I, I tell you, there's so much good stuff here. I'm not skipping over because it's not good. I'm skipping because of time. So please go home, read this later. We're going to start right in the middle of verse 5, and you're going to see the very first woe. It says, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads him himself up with pledges. You know what that person is? You know the easiest definition of who he's talking about? It's the thief. God is saying great sorrow for the thief. And I, I, I laugh about this. Because me and Jeffrey were in the office just this week debating this very topic. And it says, woe to him who steals. And we were laughing and, and we were talking. And be honest, family. And now, if you're in a different financial place, don't cheat. Think back what it was like when you were, if you're not 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Think back then. Because if, if you're retired and your finances are solid, you don't count. So let's just say that's you. Back it up all the way. And imagine, if you will, if you were 17, 18, 19, 20, you didn't have much money, but you knew if 20 of your friends went to a store and all of you stole at once, you'd get away with it. Would you do it? We were talking about that, all this, all the smash and grab uh, looting we've been seeing. They'll get 30, 40 people. They go into these high-end department stores. They grab armfuls of purses and junk they don't really need. They run out of the store because they know it's, it's not going to be caught. 
I actually thought of that when we went to, we were stuck in the Walmart self-checkout line, and I was paying like $48 per egg, and I was laughing to myself, and I thought, if I had 30 friends, and we all loaded a cart of groceries up, we could just walk right out the door. Now, be honest, if you were young, had almost no money, and you knew that if 20 or 30 of your friends would meet you at a store, you could rob that store and get away with it, would you do it? Oh, man, it's tempting. It, it, would, it would be tempting. These people are, are going to take the stuff out. They're going to sell it. A lot of them are going to make more money in 15, 20 minutes of stealing than they do in two months of work. That's tempting. That's really tempting. And so when we look at this passage, and, he, and God says, woe to the thief. And I think thievery has become so easy in our country recently. Woe to them. Great sorrow to them. Let's go to the next one. We're going to skip down just a hair. Now we're going to be in verse 8. Or is that verse 9? That's verse 9. It says, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from, each, from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many people. You have fortified your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork responds... You know what that is? You know what this is, if you want to summarize that? That's woe to the greedy. That was, that's what he's talking about. Who has evil gain for his house. And then look at these words right here. It really makes me, it amuses me, the words God uses. He said, he sets his nest on high. Do you know why anyone in Old Testament would set their house high? It was a defense you, you had a hard time attacking someone on a hilltop because they can see you coming. So this person that God is talking about, when God says great sorrow for this individual, it's the greedy who takes advantage of people, and they think that by putting their house up on high, they think they're safe. And God's saying great sorrow for them. Great sorrow. And it says, you have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. Do you see those words, you have forfeited your life? God's saying, you're doing this to yourself. And we talk about, oh, God is love. He'll never do anything bad to people. God's saying right here, I'm not doing anything. You're doing it to yourself. Great sorrow for them. Great sorrow. The next one. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. Do you know who this is? Woe to the violent who builds a town with blood. That is a violent individual. That is someone who does violent acts for gain. Now I know, I know none of you in here, and me included, none of us have been reading the news about all these random, violent, violent attacks on our street. And I've been wrestling with this, this notion, and, and tell me after church what you, what you think. Do you think we're more violent now than we were in the past? Or is it just seems that way because we have such an ability to connect to information? Every day I read, some random person walks up to another random person on the street and stabs them for no reason. No money, no nothing. Just, they just do it. 
I saw the video of the, the woman that went to the bank to get a deposit taken out, and she had cash. The individuals in the car followed her, drove behind her up until they, they watched her stop. They got out when she got out, grabbed her and body slammed her, and basically paralyzed her for a, I, don't, I think it was like $3,000. They took her ability to walk away for like $3,000, and I look at that and go, I bet if that, if you would have said, Girl, I'm going to break your spine if you don't give me your $3,000. I bet you that woman would have said, done. Take it and get out. And then all the people that's tied to that, all of them lost their life. And I look at that, and I think, what did God say about that? Woe to them. Woe to them. Great sorrow for those who are building on the other's blood. That is what people are doing now. People are hurting each other in the street, and a couple of them are doing it. You know why? because they're hungry and they know that if they go to jail they'll be there for a little bit but they get food they get water they get a bed they have heat they have air conditioning and most of our prison systems have cable come on be honest if you are living on the street and you are being attacked daily which is what happens on many of these homeless camps there's violence there and someone said if you go to jail You'll be locked in, but you're going to be fed, you'll be clothed, you'll be cool, you'll be warm. Would you do it? Come on. Whoa. Woe to them. God's saying great sorrow for the person who is willing to build their life on the blood of someone else. Let's look at this next one. We're going to skip down in verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink and pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. You know who this is talking about? It's woe to the drunk. And God doesn't mix words when he's discussing that this idea of, of the drunkenness. He's saying the drunk is not only drinking themselves, what are they doing? They're filling the cup of their neighbor. Woe to the person who is a drunk, but not just a drunk themselves. They've got to take people around and they take them down. We always had this discussion. We go to the, the beach and we're, we're watching those lifeguards run around and me and the kids will usually talk about it and I'll say, kids, you know if the, if the lifeguard goes out to the ocean, and I know you know this, but we'll remind you, if a lifeguard goes out to the ocean to make a rescue and they're by the pier and the waves are coming in and they're going to hit the pier, does the lifeguard hit the pier or do they put their victim in front of them? If you don't know, the, the answer is always the same. They will always put the victim in front of them to hit the pier, hit the great big cement poles why because if the lifeguard gets hit gets knocked unconscious both of them go down and oftentimes we see that in drowning when one person goes under the water someone else tries to go out and help them the person that was almost drowning panics and they pull their savior down too and this is what God's talking about. Woe to the individual who is struggling with alcohol. Woe to them because not only are you hurting yourself, you're taking your neighbors with you. Why? And it says right there, they want to see their nakedness. And that nakedness is an idea of shame. It's not saying, hey, you just want to walk around looking at people without clothes on. It's saying they're looking because they want to see you shamed. And that happens today, family. People that are miserable will frequently 
try to take people around them down because it's easier to feel miserable with someone else than to feel miserable by yourself. And God's saying, great sorrow, great sorrow, but he saved the best for last. We're gonna skip all the way down here. I think that's verse 18. My eyes can't see those small letters anymore. I'm sorry, verse 19. It says, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Woe to the idolater. Woe to the person who gets some wooden statue, some stone, and looks at them and says, you're awake. You're alive. We don't do that quite as much as we used to. We worship paper. We worship things. And we might not look at it and say, arise, awake, but we treat it like it's alive and awake. We put it above everything else. And it could be a couple different things. It could be people, it could be possessions, and it could be wealth. Those are usually the three things that people start idolizing. People, things, money. And we might not look at them and say, arise and wake, but we look at them and say, you are the most important thing in my life. And God is saying, whoa, woe to that. Woe to the person who's going to make something inanimate or something that didn't create them more important than the person that created you. This is a really cool passage about understanding who God is. See, God is, God is love. I believe that. But when we look at these, these five woes, there are things that God does not like. Now, here's what, here's what I know is going on. I know most of us in here, we're at the point of age that we look at those five woes, and for the most part, we say, Jerry, that doesn't really apply to me. I'm not, I'm not really a drunker. I'm not really a violent person. I'm not really greedy. I've got what I need. I don't really worship other things. I love God. I come to church. I go to Bible studies. That's not really my problem. And so you can look at this, and you can quickly take Habakkuk 2 and these last couple passages here, and you can say, that doesn't really apply to me. But here's how it applies to you the same way that it applies to Habakkuk. The Habakkuk was really confused. How can you use a sinful nation to destroy your nation? And what God is telling him is the same thing he's telling us today. He's saying, I'm in control. He's saying, everything you see, I'm in control. Even when you think the unrighteous and the unjust and all these bad things, when you think that people are getting away with it, God's saying, I see it. I know. And even though I know, it's a clear reminder that in all of this, and all this, this chaos that we live, and they were living then too, God is clearly telling the righteous, be calm. I'm in control. Be patient. I'm in control. And that is really reassuring. So if you look at these five woes and say, this is not really me, that's true. What God is saying to you is, I'm in control. As our praise team comes up, and they're gonna lead us in a song of decision. If you have not made a, a decision to follow Jesus, I'm going to say you should come on down. Hey, if you're watching online, I, I know we say it every single week, and it, it's not just empty words, it's true. If you want to make a decision for Jesus Christ, get a hold of us in the office. We can make some, we can make some things. We'll uh, schedule, we'll come down here, we'll, we'll baptize you, it'll be awesome. Or maybe you feel like you're Habakkuk and you feel like you've got some questions for God and you just want some prayers. Hey, come on down, we'll, we'll pray with you. If you're online and you've got some prayer requests, put them on our connection card. Mark them confidential if they are. We look at them every week. We pray about them. They're important to us. Uh, in fact, you guys can do that too. That's not just online. Um, 
Or maybe you like First Christian Church, you're a baptized believer, and you want to you be part of this family, come on forward, we'll welcome you. Let's stand as we get ready to sing.
you have your bulletin, you can look in there. Uh, honestly, looking at this, it's a pretty regular week. Uh, we do have uh, the youth stuff going on tonight. Roger has his life group, life group going on. Stitches of Love, um, LOL. I don't know if it applies to too many people in here. Otherwise, we've got our regular Bible studies. Um, there is a medical team meeting on Saturday, if that's what you're involved with. On the other side, there's all sorts of good things you should check out. Uh, Larry and Brenda are looking to see if anyone wants to do a, a Holy Land trip. Um, Peach's Pantry has a list of things they're collecting. Operation Christmas Child has the list of things they're collecting this month. And of course, Lori's uh, Bible study group's going, and then Jan Lang is still looking for uh, Kleenex boxes back there. So you can check it out. It's there. Take it home. You turn to the back, you'll see our list of our praises and our prayer concerns. It's funny, this, this praises here, it says, thank you for all the individuals that volunteer their time and effort in working for our Lord by giving back to FCC. I was just thinking that. I was sitting in that front row, and there is someone that comes in every Sunday, and I, I won't mention who they are to embarrass them. They do something for me that I absolutely detest. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, I sure am glad they're here today. There are a lot of small jobs uh, that a lot of people do, and, and if you're one of them, thank you. If you are not, hey, let's get you plugged in. Uh, come talk to someone after church. Let's see what we can do for you and see where you can, you can serve God. Otherwise, don't forget our, our special concerns, uh, our country, our leaders, our health concerns. Um, several of our people on our health concerns have some upcoming medical procedures coming, so keep them in your prayers. And of course, our deployed troops, uh, our shut-ins, like always, if you have time, give them a call, send them a note, go visit, they'd love it. Uh, we are focusing on Santa's West End Stocking Project this, this month, and of course, in, in our missions that we support, and we support them financially with our time. Uh, some of our missions actually get some of our old equipment, so it's not necessarily money that they receive, but it is our, our stuff that we can't use anymore, so that's really cool. Uh, otherwise, let's, let's stand. Um, we'll have a, a few moments of quiet, and we'll pray. I'll, I'll pray. I'll close this out. We'll have a song, and, and let's go face the world together. God, thank you for this body of believers. Uh, thank you for all the people that, that come not even on Sunday mornings, but they're here throughout the week serving, making sure that we can come and, and things run smoothly. Father, thank you for their ability to want to serve, to have the ability to serve. God, thank you for them. Lord, I ask you to bless uh, those that aren't here, uh, either shut-ins or health or, or other reasons. I ask you to uh, allow them to feel at peace today. Allow them to know that just because they're not here, they've not been forgotten. They are still part of our family and you love them. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting. If it's your will, will you provide a miraculous healing? Will you allow us to see your, your power in, in that? But if, if not, God, allow us to uh, learn to lean on you in our pain and our struggles. God, I ask you to bless our troops. Uh, keep them safe as they're away from home, away from their families. I ask you to give them safety as they come home. And God, thank you for their willingness to serve. Lord, I ask you to bless our missions that we support and our outreaches um, in all of them. Allow us to have the right means and the, the finances and the gifts and the time and all the things that we can do to assist them when they are reaching others for you. Uh, God, thank you for that. Lord, I ask you to bless us as we leave this building. Thank you for the love. Thank you for the ups and downs in life. Jesus, and I pray. Amen.
Thank you for joining us for church this morning. Have a great week in the Lord, everybody.